Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Solutions Project, the podcast where we get to know health industry innovators who are working to improve cost, quality, and health outcomes and enhance patient and clinician satisfaction. I'm Don Siemens, and today I'm joined by someone who is showing how digital health is empowering patients, David Franklin. David, welcome to the Healthcare Solutions Project. Thank you for having me on today. It's my pleasure. David is a solution architect, consultant, and the founder of NoRx, a digital health company focused on medication management. David, digital health is a hot topic right now, and I want to talk about the ways you see it changing the healthcare system. But first, I want to talk about what drew you into healthcare. Healthcare is an intriguing field for a lot of people. Why was it intriguing to you? Well, for me, healthcare is intriguing. Uh, really, it stems from a personal relationship um, in dealing with a crisis in my family around my father. Hmm. Uh, we're all consumers of our healthcare ecosystem as citizens, um, and we kind of blindly operate within that environment day to day. Right. In 2018, my father had some complications and he was moved from a regional clinic uh, in Missouri in, into a, um, a larger facility and into an ICU. Mm. And I traveled back and forth from Missouri to from Austin to Missouri, back and forth where he was located at and spent six weeks in total. But the last three weeks of his life in that ICU mm. Um and it was very good for me as a son to be there for him, uh, but as a technologist, and I often say as a son in his passing, I wanted to blame somebody, but as a technologist, I wanted to fix something. Mm -hmm. And knowing that medication mismanagement or adherence to medication and side effects contributed to his passing at an early age, 72, it, it was very hard for me. Um, and at that time, I was running a consulting firm and mm -hmm. had worked in um, in various industries and segments, including healthcare, and it was just a business uh, avenue for me. But now it became very personal mm. uh, because I, I I saw firsthand. And as I was leaving uh, the hospital with my mom, the ICU unit, I noticed and reflected on several weeks here. Many families had gone through the same outcome I had losing a loved one. Yeah. Um, and I mentioned to her that this will continue to happen until somebody tries to do something to help it. Uh, and I said, I will, I will do that uh, is to the best of my abilities, maybe as a memorial to my father, but uh, for everybody out there who, who loses somebody uh, due to those protocols and just life in general. And, you know, as I, as I mentioned, as, as a son, I wanted to blame somebody mm -hmm. and I started like going through, you know, is it, was it the, the nurses, the attendees? Was it his primary care? Was it the physicians? Was it his specialists? Mm -hmm. Everybody has a little bit of a part to it. But even the, the care team, myself, his, his wife, his other uh, children. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was really him. Um, mm. he, he, was, he was mainly responsible for his health. And Governor Cuomo said this in one of his uh, daily stand-ups when he was doing uh, press uh, around COVID. He communicated, uh, it is your responsibility as a citizen for your health. Uh, this is your responsibility. And I came to that same conclusion in 2018 that essentially it was my father's, but he, he no longer was able to participate in that due to his passing. But I could help other people, um, other patients, consumers, 
who become patients become more empowered. And that's when the technologist in me decided to start NoRx. I reached out to my co-founder, which I've known for about 10 years, uh, Dr. James H. Powell out of Cincinnati. And NoRx was formed through that adversity. There's so much to, so many directions to go. And first of all, I want to say, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, Second of all, I think that what you said about blame is spot on. I think, you know, you can look back and you can you can look at the the different players, the different stakeholders in his care, and, and they all had a part to play. But I'm a believer that when it all comes down to it, we're we're mostly in charge of, of what happens to us. Far too often, David, I think we're passive consumers of healthcare rather than active consumers of healthcare. Would you agree? We definitely are. And this is where the digital transformation is going to become more empowering. Uh, if, uh, as technologists, as providers, as institutions, uh, we roll it out with the patient first in mind, um, mm. not as a commerce tool. Um, and the patients have to, what I say, they have to be more involved, more engaged, and more educated. Therefore, they're more powered, empowered. Um, it, it takes time because this is, uh, in some senses, this is change management for the consumer. They have to change the way they're thinking. Uh, but it's it's not only, um, it's much bigger, right? Uh, right. You know, I'm, you know, I, I was born in 70. You know, I'm that gender. I'm a latchkey kid. I grew up. My parents were working. Hmm. I I lived off of, say, TV and uh, frozen TV dinners at times. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, that's how I grew up in, in many ways. I'm the youngest of seven at the same time. But I say that to say we are a microwave society. We've been that way for a while. Convenience is is premium. Um, and because of that. We've introduced uh, bad health conditions in our personal lives mm. uh, that that need to change, um, and it all starts with education in the school systems. But we have to educate the person where they're at, uh, and that's digital. Mm. Everybody's mobile. And providers, institutions, caregivers—you have to meet the patients where they're at. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, you mentioned convenience, and I think that one of the things that is wrong with healthcare is that it's inconvenient, especially for the patient. A lot of the systems that have been built have not been built around the patient. They've been built around the provider or uh, around the, the payer, or around that relationship, or, or even around the employer who is responsible for a good chunk of the payments for for that. Yeah, and I've I've been an entrepreneur for you know, probably 10 years at least now. And I've, I've been on corporate insurance. Uh, I've been on uh, healthcare.gov, uh, been on self-pay, and I've had different reactions uh, based off my level of care and mm. the type of care I received because of that. Um, and that's a sad commentary here within the United States, uh, but that's the model today. Uh, and that's how it operates. But you know, these things are changing uh, slowly. Uh, COVID, you know, it probably comes up in our conversation. Yeah. Is, uh, enforcing a lot of change that uh, industry wasn't, I believe, wasn't. They were slow rolling change. Mm. Um, and that's forcing the issue. Um, 
in a lot of ways. That and just uh, racial disparities in health are, are forcing a lot of changes uh, today. Hmm. Um, so tell us how you set about to improve that system to make it more patient-centric. Uh, definitely. So one of the ways we want to in improve is empowering the patient and keeping the patient first. So how do we do that? One, we digitize the pharmacy label. Too often, people disregard their pharmacy label, uh, put it in the kitchen counter, mm -hmm. they throw it away. Mm -hmm. There's a wealth of information there. So our, through our machine learning algorithms, um, not only do we understand the medication that you're on, um, and we help you with uh, adherence through accountability, but we provide you with complementary insights around your health, whether it's through uh, nutrition, wellness, holistic um, uh, artifacts, if you will, uh, based off the medication you're on. So, for example, if you're on a semostatin for cholesterol, uh, take it once a day, avoid grapefruit, um, but maybe you need to also increase fiber. Um, and we can give you reminders throughout the day to do certain things, and we can give you uh, nutritional tips. Um, we can give you meditation tips. Uh, I think that's very important as well because we've done a study on like the top 10 prescribed drugs in the United States, number one being Vicodin mm. and all the side effects associated to those 10 drugs. And what is the probability of a side effect taking place when you're on multiple drugs? We, we will be able to, to understand that. But the thing here is that we want to educate the, the patient. We want to keep them first. And we have competitors in the space, but most of the time the competitors are addressing a, say, a senior population, uh, uh, Medicare, Medicaid treatments, and they're working from the inside out, being mm. from the industry coming out to the patient. Uh, but adherence is a patient issue, and it has to be addressed with the patient and their behaviors through a change management process. And this is what we're doing in the application where it's gamified to keep them involved, have the accountability to somebody, have that oversight that they're taking their medication and give them the complimentary services uh, that they need so they stay engaged throughout the day, they're involved, and then they, uh, they're they more literate about who they are, right? Mm -hmm. This is why we call it personalized medication management. Um, so we have partners that are connected devices, um, say for blood pressure, pulse oximeter, Mm -hmm. uh, but we also have partners from a genomic standpoint, uh, uh, standpoint um, from vitamin supplements to medications. So the physician, mm -hmm. those same recommendations can be provided to the physician so they understand who you are and what your routines are and how you're adhering um, and what any social determinants you may have as well. Um, so these are some of the ways that we're trying to address it. But at the center of everything is the patient. And we're very, that's one of our core beliefs, the, the patient. Like I said, I wanted to blame somebody hmm. uh, and it's hard pill to swallow uh, when it's you. Yeah, You have to be accountable to yourself and your own health, right? But hmm. we have to be more educated first of what we're putting into our bodies, even from a drug standpoint. I'm interested to know how this is getting into the hands of patients. What's the model that you're using yeah, so it's a, it, it's a double-sided market for us. So it's a B to B to C type of play. Mm -hmm. It's very important uh, to have the physician and the pharmacist engaged. 
uh, and they can easily advocate on our behalf, if you will. Mm. Uh, but one of the things we're very mindful of is physician fatigue, administrative fatigue, um, not to do anything there. But there are marketing strategies in check-in, desktop space. Um, but primarily, it's driving the patient population from a grassroots effort. Hmm. Um, so we're going out to health advocacy groups, consumer groups. Uh, we're going out to associations that are helping address large groups of patient populations and really going towards the patient them first and providing value to them. And then with that patient population built, it's easier to go to the provider to the physicians, to the pharmacists and say, we're already working and we can already show a, an increase in adherence uh, with this medication uh, to get them on board uh, after that. Uh, some of it from a marketing standpoint would we'll do simultaneously, but the largest effort is, are through uh, advocacy groups are direct to consumer type of advertisements. Hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, Industry has a cost, uh, which is financial, but as citizens, it's quality of life or loss of life. Um, and I, I'm weighing in on that side of it because it was directly with me, and, and that's who I'm trying to help first. I love it. What does your solution do for other important stakeholders? You mentioned uh, physicians and pharmacists and even facilities. What does your solution do for them? Well, uh you know, the next person in line that's extremely important here is the physician um, and, and, the, and then the pharmacist. Um, so for the physician, we're very mindful. And we, we have my co-founder, Dr. Powell, who's 24 years bio -pharm uh, pharmaceutical industry expert. Uh, um, and we're very cognitive of a day in the life of a physician. And, you know, on average, it's 13 13 minutes per visit. Mm -hmm. They average up to 2,300 patients a year. Um, they're under a lot of st stress, a lot of fatigue, but they need to really understand who their patients are. It's not a one pill fits all. It shouldn't be a one pill fits all. Right. And they have to get back into the position of really engaging and understanding who their patients are. Uh, now, directly, it's probably... Uh, their staff that looks at this data and presents it to them before the patient. Uh, but what's important to them is we help the patients um, on return visits, follow-ups. So after their primary visit, if they have to return, we have tools and technology in place to, to help them to increase uh, the return visit, uh, to increase the physician score, uh, which we, we understand on the inside, this is, contribution to how they get paid as well. Uh, so we do those things to them, uh, for them. And then we in increase their general insight, uh, reduce their burnout, but in in increase general insight to who their patients really are, mm. right? Uh, so we see the patient as a person and, and not a digit. How about for pharmacists? What's interesting with pharmacists is generally, unlike the physician, you know your physician by name, but you know your pharmacy by the company, mm. uh, not the pharmacists themselves. Um, and the pharmacist, just like the physician, refers to you as a patient, and they have to be more engaging. Uh, one, we're able to break the silo, not just between physicians and network, out of network, but also between pharmacies. 
So uh, when information is, is uh, when drug medications are ordered, if there's a change on the pharmacy level, uh, they can make that change, uh, usually driven from an insurance point of view. Um, so the physician's aware of that. But this here is a way that uh, the pharmacist can also see what other things that you're on over the counter are prescribed. So they have this uh, type of insight to really who you are um, is a patient to them, uniquely to them in that encounter. Let's talk a little more broadly. You know, it took a pandemic to get patients to use telehealth and the numbers seem to indicate that telehealth will continue to be part of our healthcare experience. Is the experience that people are having with telehealth making digital health generally more appealing? That's a great question. Um, I, my initial thought is no. Hmm. Uh, I, I do believe that telehealth will continue. Um, I think, especially with the pandemic, it accelerated its place into the market. Um, but I also believe it creates challenges within the market as well. Hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, the provider, the institutions, uh, as we know it, they want to own their relationship with the patient. When you introduce a third-party telehealth uh, care, uh, that patient now is outside of your visibility. Mm. So that's a challenge there. And I think the challenge that telehealth will have is that as a they had more steam leading up to the pandemic than the providers did. The providers were behind on offering telehealth services right. and the independent uh, organizations out there were ahead of them. But as the providers and the institutions start seeing uh, and follow the money of patient care, they're losing money, therefore losing patients. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really easy for us to get on the telehealth, but not every telehealth provider provides a, a single point of care every single time. It can change. Um, so that's where the sort of customer sat satisfaction may drop. But on the provider side, I think, that's where the competition is going to come from organically within the healthcare ecosystem is that they will mature their telehealth offerings and pull back their patients back into their organizations. And then you will see uh, a little bit of drop off of the third party or they will be acquired through providers mm. uh, to provide the service or they will be outsourced service. But the providers will start to take more control back over the organizations providing these care. Because at the end of the day, they, they, want, they want the patient within their purview, which they don't necessarily have. Um, I think the service is great. It's very beneficial. But you have to look at what type of service it's for. Um, right. Seasonal type services, check-ins. Mm -hmm. um, those things are very functional in that way. Uh, they're very cost-effective and they're very timely on demand. Uh, and they're great services for that. One of the things we did to help bridge the gap between, say, the patient and telehealth or televisits with the care providers is we provide objective input through connected devices of blood pressure, uh, pulse oximeter. Similar as if you would go in and have an appointment, you get your weight, your temperature, your O2, your heart rate, your blood pressure. They ask you uh, some um uh, go over some symptoms, uh, systems. So we've automated all of that and put it into our system hmm. because telehealth doesn't provide that service. 
So right. we're good utilization between uh, the patient and telehealth or the provider trying to provide those telehealth services. Um, but yeah, I, it will be here, but I think that the dynamics of it will continue to move back towards the provider side versus independent mm-hmm. telehealth uh, because the consistency has to be between you and your primary care uh, versus a, a random doc every single time you want, you really do want that relationship established, mm-hmm. I believe, but you also have to look at it generationally. So uh, if you look at millennials, I think the percentage is, uh, it could be 53% that after their primary care visit, they don't return to the, the primary care doctor. Mm-hmm. They will stop along. You know, if you got 10 miles between your home and your primary care visit, or you have telehealth available to you, and it's more convenient for you to to not use as much gas, to drive as far right. uh, time of day, or to stay at home, you're going to do that. Um, but what they fail to realize is the relationship and the understanding that physician has and how they're committed to your overall health care and outcomes for a longer duration of time. Um, that has to be reinstituted, and that, that commitment that trust, that relationship has has to stay intact uh, throughout the the evolution of digital health and telehealth. Hmm. Okay, let's think about it from your perspective. Is this kind of an existential event beneficial for for you and for digital health services in general? Is is this going to make this pandemic? Is it going to make consumers more willing to engage? digitally than they have been in the past? I think so. Um, Kim's um, healthcare information system society within the, within the United States, they had a conference that was scheduled at the Cleveland Clinic for May of this year. Mm. And their theme was around the empowered patient. Uh, of course, that didn't take place. Um, but I think there was already movement heading towards that way. Um, and you can't do that unless you meet the patient where they're at, um, which is digital. Uh, there's so, and, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of apps out there, but the thing is they're, they're very siloed, just like the healthcare industry is siloed between providers. So these things have to, um, and yet you have the new leg. So another thing that comes in play is the new the the new legislation around information blocking uh, of sharing of data and use of digital technology or approval of digital technology through the FDA and different things like this. So it's all moving in direction. The thing is, is that the patient is already digital. It's healthcare that's not. Hmm. Uh, so it's just a matter of healthcare coming up to meet the patient where they're at. Um, and taking care of them there uh, versus um, downgrading the patient in the healthcare experience by not being digital. Yeah, that makes sense. How do you think, well, let me preface this question a little bit. Uh, the, The whole reason that I am doing this podcast is because to your point, the point that you were making earlier was that everyone is involved in healthcare. Everyone cares about it. It impacts everyone. 
And as a result, everyone really knows that there are problems with, with healthcare right now in terms of the cost and the quality and the satisfaction. How do you think that digital health, and maybe even you could get into your solution specifically, will lower the costs of healthcare, improve quality, increase the satisfaction that we feel with the healthcare we are provided? Well, when I, I don't know if everybody wants the cost of healthcare to go down. Because uh, hmm. to to one point it's a business. True. And, uh, to certain people within the business, it's a very successful business um, on on various levels. Hmm. Um, so that's a challenge. Uh, that by lowering costs, does that lower profits? Does that decrease revenue? Does that equate to to poorer care? Or um, I don't think so. I think we can we can actually increase the quality of care by increasing the patient's participation, their knowledge, specifically their participation in clinical trials. Uh, but we have to increase their knowledge on general health and wellness is, is in their everyday life um, in between visits. Um, but there are challenges. There's challenges in thinking. There's it, Generally speaking, it's not a technology problem. It's a change management problem. And the change management is within uh, those who operate within the industry of moving towards the newer technology hmm. and those, those types of tools and assets that make it available to them um, and not focus on the economics aspect of it, uh, which would take care of itself uh, naturally. Uh, but I think all of that adjusts. Um, from over overpricing of medications to office visits uh, to the the time in the office, um, one of the things we're trying to address in medication management is reducing. You know, if we can increase adherence, maybe we can reduce or the likelihood of re reducing readmissions. And readmissions, on average, is around fourteen thousand four hundred per read readmission. Right. Uh, and that's, that's a huge cost. Um, and they all kind of work together hand in hand. So it, it's it's a long change. It's a difficult change to implement because there's so so many aspects of it that have to to work together. So I wouldn't foresee an immediate uh, change uh, that's that really drive telehealth provides that from a cost standpoint on certain features. Right. It's very attractive there. Mm -hmm. Uh, short-term, long-term uh, type of plans that they have, um, and those will those have rolled into employee plans as well already, uh, from a corporate point of view. Um, but all, all I, I think all of this has to change. But it's until it all works together, we we may not see the the financial impact. It's expensive. Um, healthcare is very expensive here. Um, Definitely. It'll take some time to sew that expense down. I think it'll always be expensive, frankly. And I agree that there are stakeholders that like the fact that it's expensive, but at some point, and I think that point, it, it may have already come actually, but that the point that I'm talking about is where it gets so expensive that we just say enough, right? That you, you can't have the, the costs rising the way they are um, without something happening, right? Without some kind of rebellion, some, some kind of revolt. And I think that there are some things that are happening within this industry that 
that are addressing costs and addressing some of the perverse incentives that organizations are are working under. And and I'm I'm optimistic about that. And I'm optimistic about digital health too. I think I think uh, no no one wants to go to the hospital. No one wants to go to the doctor. We don't want to spend that kind of money. We'd rather spend our money in other ways, and we'd rather spend our time in other ways. You get the the patient uh, thinking ahead and and focusing on managing their chronic conditions or just avoiding chronic conditions altogether. Uh, I, I think that's that's where it goes. But it it is a it is a slow-moving train to get us there, for sure. Yeah, but we have to look at uh, what what are contributing factors to, say, poor health, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most notably in the news, um, because of COVID, we've seen uh, racial inequalities in healthcare um, in certain patient populations right and how covid is impacted in in certain uh ethnic groups uh, versus others mm-hmm. very very widely different right and you, yes. you, and you start tracking back and, and it's like yeah we we can improve this but are we going to improve uh the fast food we have in society right mm-hmm. are we going to improve our our mindsets about nutrition and wellness um and are we going to improve physical education um in school where in a lot of places it's been taken out right um so they don't exercise regularly are, are we going to remove the number of uh, liquor stores or convenience stores in inner city corners mm-hmm. in certain demographic areas right that propel us into Right. Everything contributes to the cost of healthcare uh, at one point, maybe, maybe not the day of, but systemically over time, uh, these choices uh, impact uh, healthcare or puts more weight and pressure on attending to uh, people in a, a healthcare system mm. because we're not all 100% healthy all the time. Right. And we do need care. And these are fabulous, amazing people. Uh, strange story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I took a break and I went to the beach and everybody was doing everything they were supposed to do mm-hmm. from a social distancing standpoint. I walked into the water within two to three minutes. I had a stingray. I stepped on a stingray and it cut the artery in my foot. Whoa. Um, luckily, yeah, there was a nurse there in the water. They came over. I ended up going to the ER. I was in the ER room for maybe 30 minutes and then they needed the room for a COVID patient. Hmm. And so they moved me to the hallway out in front of the front desk and to see these first line uh, hospital staff gearing up and and attending to a patient who flatlined and they brought them back uh, Hmm. doing all this stuff. Um, You can talk about cost, like you you can't pay these people enough. You can't pay a teacher in school enough to teach your child. You can't pay a healthcare worker enough to do what they do, right? right. Um, the cost that we're paying into healthcare doesn't directly go to them, right? Uh, mm. That's not where it has to, that's not where the change is at. Um, so if, if anything, I say that to say, we have, a, we have beautiful people out there working very hard um, in hazardous situations every day that we need to be grateful for. 
within this healthcare ecosystem and hopefully digital health and the changes, whether it's prompted by the pandemic or uh, anything else, they benefit from, from this uh, equally as well. Hmm. Well, you are obviously very passionate about improving healthcare and let's uh, obviously that's, that's what's driven you to, uh, to start your company and make the progress that you have. Maybe you could encapsulate that. What difference do you hope to make with new RX? Uh, that's a touching one because to a certain degree, I can't do that for myself. I can't pick up the phone and talk to my dad, yeah. uh, when I have a, when I have a car issue, right? Right. That's gone. And I don't have nobody to call, so to speak. Right. Uh, those relationships over 50 years of my life has been taken away from me. Uh, so it's very simple. I want to improve the quality of life for other people to have one more day, to have one more week, to have one more month, uh, to, to have the conscious mindfulness understanding that life is short, um, you know, to appreciate those that are around them when somebody's on medication to really understand the impact of that medication, drug to drug, drug to food, counter indications, mm. anything like the side effects to be smarter about this. Um, to know when your loved one isn't taking their medication and why and have that documented so the physician can see it in near real time. Um, that the physician can make e-rounds uh, and connect with the person uh, digitally. Um, but it's, it's, it's extending, you know, improving the quality of life just a little bit. Um, you know, I, I know I, I could have helped my father if I, you know, the thing is, the attendees were great at the, the university hospital where he was. Mm. Um, and they spent a lot of time talking to me. And they said, we don't need more information. We have too much information. Mm. We need consolidated input and recommendations off of the information. Mm -hmm. um, because there's too many voices, too many inputs. And it's like, I, I know I could have helped that situation. Um, and that's, that's what drives me is to get this in position to help somebody else um, so they can be smarter. They can have a better conversation with their physician and ha hopefully have a better outcome because of that. David, that's inspiring. I, I, I've talked with a lot of people who have the same kind of passion, but they're looking at it from the perspective of, Hey, we want to get, we want to help the healthcare providers, you know, make the right decisions and have ask the right questions. But I think it's super powerful to give that same kind of, I guess, horsepower or power into yeah. the hands of a, of a patient. Yeah. And I, th I think that's, you know, the, the major difference between us and anybody else who's working on this is generally they're, they're working on just what you described from the inside out. Um, but for me, my philosophy is you have to address the patient. Um, you have to engage them uh, where they're at. You have to educate them. Then they will be more involved. Then you will have better conversations. And, and essentially, it's the patient giving the physician the information they're wanting uh, to know and understand about 
it's just they don't have to ask for it. The patient's willfully giving it to them. Hmm. Uh, I, I think, you know, if if they continue to do what they do on their side and I do it on our side, we'll meet with a beautiful outcome in the middle. So uh, competition's great. It, you know, it helps everybody out in the long run. This is a, a big ship to turn and it takes, it takes some time to do that. Um, and we all have to see where we can make that change and uh, work in that area and keep pushing forward, keep leaning in. Love it. Well, David, let's uh, wrap this up. How can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more? Yeah, so David Franklin, uh, the email is uh, david at noRx, K-N-O-W-R-X dot Moby, M-O-B-I. So no is for knowledge. Uh, K-N-O-W-R-X, prescriptions, knowledge about prescriptions, dot Moby, M-O-B-I. Uh, go to the website as well, narx dot Moby. I'm on LinkedIn, David Franklin. Uh, you know, I'm very much a people first person. I love to talk to people, uh, survey them, ask them what's going on. I, I have an open ear to, to listen to these real stories and to figure out what direction we need to take. And then on the Provider Institute, uh, uh, clinical trials, insurance, um, you know, we're aggressively pursuing opportunities to work with them. Uh, we have our first pilot coming up. Um, we have another LOI under review. Uh, so we're making a very good traction in the marketplace there as well. Well, that is fantastic. That's uh, been a pleasure to, to chat with you. Obviously, um, you you say you're a people person, and I can attest to that. It's been a pleasure. Well, I thank you for the time today, Don. This is a great opportunity to uh, uh, elevate what we're doing and uh, try to try to reach a larger audience of uh, and provide them something useful. Fantastic. We'll keep up the great work. Take care. Thank you. 